0: You are listening
1: to KC Sports Network, proudly presented
0: by M-Prize Bank.
1: Up next, the latest on the Kansas State Wildcats from the guys of Three Maw John Kurtz, Derek Young, and Cole Mandak, who will get you caught up on all things Wildcats from a collective perspective that can't be found anywhere else. The latest news, the top stories, and an insider perspective to keep you in the know. Make sure you hit that follow button so you don't miss anything. Three is proudly presented by 360 Vodka. And now, the latest on K-State Athletics.
2: Hello and welcome. We are back. It is another 3 pod. I am John Kurtz, joined by Derek Young of K-State Online fame. Cole Manbeck, former K-State beat writer for the Manhattan Mercury. We're talking about a bounce-back win for K-State. They go one-on-one with the back-to-back home games with Texas and TCU. Looks dominating by the end of the scoreboard, 82-61. to Cats held TCU in arm's length basically the entire way, led almost wire to wire, but Uh, It was a fairly close game, six-minute game with just a couple minutes to go before K-State exploded uh, on, I believe, a 15-0 run there to get the big lead at the end of the game. So all's well that ends well. It was really fun. It was another pretty good environment in Bramlage Coliseum, I would say, last night. And those of you students that weren't there, because there were a few students, that was the only spot where where I would have any qualms with the attendance. And everybody who was still there was very loud and rowdy, so it still made for a great atmosphere. But I'd have to imagine the only excuse— for the students who did not fill the wraparound sections, colon D.Y. has to be that they were simply too busy enjoying their Ben Holiday bottled and bond bourbon and 360 vodka uh, at home. That is that is really the only explanation there. I get it. It's eight, 8 o'clock tip. So you wanted to just kick back and fire it up while you had your math homework going or something like that. But that is clearly what's happened because it's taking the nation by storm. Get your 360 vodka, get your Ben Holiday bottled and bond bourbon, Support Holiday Distillery, the people that uh, support us, great K-Staters. So we appreciate them. But kind of set the stage here, guys, for fun night, much-needed night, um, and just a win that kind of gives you a sigh of relief after blowing the Texas game and running into a rough stretch here that basically every team in the Big 12 has run into. uh, Showed some signs last night that this is not going to be anything that is crazy long in terms of uh, a losing streak or just extended poor play here. Nice to get everybody back on track.
3: Yeah, it was. It's uh, sometimes you just need something good to happen, and and I think that's what happened for Kansas State. And once that kind of unfolds, then the ball kind of rolls downhill, so to speak, and, and you kind of return to form or kind of get back to the way you were playing. I thought, now it wasn't for forty minutes or even maybe like extended stretches, but I thought there were times where we saw some of the the basketball that we we remember when they were you know jumped out to that six and one big 12 start. And then they would also remember that bad basketball that lost three big 12 games in a row. And then you would see like a, you know, I think a kind of a comfortable lead at times go back down to like three or four, just because they would return to really sloppy basketball in the offensive end. And I I think that's really my only problem because the defense really turned up last night. I thought that was the best the defense has looked in quite a while aside from a couple instances and then uh, offensively, if they shot better, they probably win that game by 30. I'd, I mean, they just couldn't put the ball in, in the bucket for most of the night, especially in the first half. Um, there was a little net rim. So I, I really like what I saw from the offense. Got great looks. The only problem is you, you didn't make, it, make as much as you probably should have. And you're still turning the ball over way too much. I know they won, won that department against TCU last night because they forced TCU into so many turnovers. But I mean, in in general, I thought he looked better. But we're looking, I think, what now? The sixth straight game where Marquise Noel has five or more turnovers.
4: Yeah, it was it was a big win. Obviously, you know, you'd lost three in a row in Big Twelve play, and you're on your home court, and you really can ill afford to lose back to back games at home, and especially in this league, every every game is so challenging. And and I thought K State when TCU made runs in that game it was encouraging that K-State responded because it would have been easy to go, here we go again, started the second half, K-State's up eight, TCO hits them with a six zero run, pulls within two, but, but K-State had a couple of big responses in, in the second half. And then TCU pulls it within 65-59 in the uh, the second half as well, and K-State hits them with that, that huge run that you talked about, John. It felt like in the blink of an eye, all of a sudden we look up, and in two or three minutes, it's a 20-point game. It went from six to 20. And so – Uh, That was big, but in the grand scheme of things, just getting a win against a top twenty team to separate yourself a little bit in the standings from TCU, which was tied with you at six and four in league play. Now you're tied for second with uh, Kansas and the the Big Twelve standings, and Iowa State, Texas, obviously at the top at seven and three or eight and three uh, for Texas, seven and three for Iowa State going into tonight. So really big win, and uh, by the way that K State won. K-State jumped a lot in the efficiency rankings. So big jump in Ken Palm. K-State went from the 26th ranked team in the Ken Palm standings to number 19. And then the net rankings this morning that came out. K-State jumped five spots from 21 to 16, which is really a significant jump this time of year. And and now the Wildcats have six quad one wins, which only 11 teams in America, including K-State, have six quad one wins or more. Only six teams in the country have more quad one wins than K-State. So... Wildcats continue to put together a very impressive resume.
3: Yeah, I'm That's all awesome. here for so I don't love the net. Uh-huh. Sorry, John. Oh, yeah. I don't love the net and Kempom. I think for that reason, because you, you had to win. It's like a 21 point win over TCU without two of their better players at home. I don't understand that part, I guess.
2: Well, Cole and I were sitting there with an extra rooting interest at the end of the game because of this exact scenario, uh, margin of victory for the net. So it was seventeen to two in total, the full run to end the game. There, scoring seventeen in the last nineteen was a blast. After, man, like a mildly, I would say I was like, you know, mildly frustrated a little bit at, at the point where it's a six-point game uh, coming down the stretch, and like, yeah, this has been okay, but like, let's let's finish this off here. And boy, did they! Uh, you got an insane. Logo three from Marquise Noel, uh, who hit a couple of really deep ones. One in the first half, or earlier on when they were trying to go two for one, first half, I think, right? Yep. And then the one late in the game when he's just bombing it, uh, because basically he has to from like halfway into the power cat. It was an insane shot. And you hope that that gets keys going. I know, yes, he did have six turnovers still, but it it felt like a game in which he was more under control, uh, didn't try to do quite as much. Felt like a a throttle down a bit in a good way, Marquise Noel, that they kind of need. Um, so from that standpoint, I'm, I'm going to take some positive with, with keys and what they, what they got there.
4: Yeah. I mean, like I, I think about it, John, uh, one of the things you and I talked about watching the game sitting together is he was finishing at the rim and taking more shots at the rim. You know, lately I feel like Marquise has been too unselfish when he drives and looking to dish and, and the defense defenses have started to adjust and they're looking for that kickout pass or that, that pass and getting their hands on the ball. And that's where some of the turnovers have come from. And last night he had three or four times where he made some difficult shots at the rim, especially one of the biggest baskets in the game was the TCU had pulled it to 40 to 38 and Marquise goes down and drives on Damian bow. Who's a terrific defender. And he's six foot four big size advantage point guard, big point guard and Marquise, hangs in the air and finishes through him uh, for a layup to push it back out to four. And then K-State hit him with that run uh, where they get up by 10. That's what started that run where they get it out to 48 to 38. And, you know, they started really playing hard and in a frenzy and got TCU to turn the ball over. And so I, I thought Marquise was, was better last night. And, you know, I felt bad for him on Saturday against Texas because he's, he's a really good player and K-State wouldn't be where they are without him. And he's a finalist for the Bob Cousy award. Uh, for best point guard in america and he he just hit a rough stretch and k state relies on him so heavily he's always got the ball in his hands it's a very difficult position you know and so and he, he's not the biggest guy in the world it's got some limitations when it comes to that so really happy to see Marquise have some some good moments last night and i think those threes will hopefully get him going again he was three of 16 from three in his previous two games he goes three of seven last night from beyond the arc so i i, I agree with you i thought he was better and now he's the uh, the single-season assist record at Kansas State with, with seven Big 12 games to go. So just a heck of a season by Marquise.
3: He had three gashes on his eye for it as well. Uh, saw him in press conference. He's got like three cuts. So he's probably getting banged up a lot more in there than what's being called as well.
2: Yeah, there was no foul call on that play. I think Cole, uh, you and I remember looking at that and being like, I mean, he's, he's literally like holding his eye over here. Like he's bleeding. He clearly got, you know. Hey, I digress. Not Nothing too – the, the only complaints that we have with the officials last night, Cole, would you say we're just – everybody is too charge happy, particularly when it comes to Keontae Johnson? Like, I mean, my God. I won't complain really about the overall officiating in the game. Maybe just bad both ways. I thought way too many charges. And I just – Keontae has a target – the size of the entire octagon of doom on his back right now, every time he's out there, like these officials are just hunting anything that he's going to do that would resemble an offensive foul. And he's gotten to the point now where they know just flop, just go down. Like if he makes any contact with his arm at all, like his forearm, just go flying. And the officials are like, wait, the the one that made me mad was this third foul because it, the whistle came so fast and that was such minimal, contact there that it just you knew that he was looking exactly for that and instead of getting like a, a bit of star treatment which I think you see for guys like Jalen Wilson throughout the league Keontae is getting the complete opposite treatment of that and it seems just like a, a, a freaking birthright for these officials to get him two fouls by the first media timeout it's just it's frustrating it's really well
4: frustrating. The, the one that actually really got me was the very first one you know, when they call the hook on him driving when yeah. he's getting bodied by Emmanuel Miller. And I'm like, you know, you really have to be reaching. Like, that happens all the time. Uh, you you have to really, really be looking close to want to call that. And with all the contact that's allowed in these games to, to call that, that, that one was very agitating. And the one the third one you mentioned, Shahada Wells, he's a, he's a six-foot guard trying to guard Keontae. So he's got a mismatch. And, of course, Keontae being bigger and stronger – making just a new normal move is going to send him flying a little bit and you just, you can't call that. So I digress. I mean, I thought Doug Sermons I'm a big Doug Sermons fan right now. He thank goodness for him. He overturned those clowns like four times on calls. I thought he had a, a, a great game. And actually I thought K-State probably got besides from those charges, John and D-Y, I thought K-State got maybe a favorable whistle uh, last night. There were some plays at the rim. There was a, Look, Keontae probably could have got his fourth foul um, on a loose ball situation where a guy tripped over him, and they, they didn't call it, and then TCU went down, and there maybe was some contact at the rim. They let it go, and TCU missed, and I, I, I just uh, – it was nice to, uh, that I wasn't complaining as much about the officiating, you know, so you didn't have to listen to that quite as much last night, John.
2: It's true. You know, had to keep this guy had to keep this guy a little bit calm, but I, Doug Sermons was great. It was not just like him overruling his crew sometimes, but him putting Jamie Dixon in his place, like and and I mean also I mean Tang for that matter too. At one point early in the game, but like yeah, a couple times he literally showed Jamie Dixon the motion of what his guy did was player did to travel uh, at one point. That that was that was funny. So kudos kudos to Doug Dougie boy. Where does where does he rank on the list of uh, favorite officials, Cole?
4: Right now he's number one. He was not up there at all uh, in the past, but uh, that was a heck of a performance by Doug last night. Great can job! I like
2: a, can I get a top top three Big Twelve official power ranking from you?
4: I, I can't think of three that are good, but uh, I would have I would probably have Sermons. And uh, even though I know Higgins gets maligned, but that's because everybody knows him. I would have Higgins he's in the top official. three. Yeah, like if I'm on the road. I would rather have, uh, in an intimidating atmosphere, I'd usually rather have John Higgins because he's been through it. And him and guys like him and Sermons are arrogant and they have a big ego and they don't get intimidated by those crowds. And so I would have him him right up there and I would have Kip Kissinger and Chance Moore and, you know, those guys at the very bottom of college basketball officiating. So Jerry Pollard, Jamie Lucky, Gary Maxwell, you know. Oh, I'll get my rankings put out, but they would be at the very bottom. (laughs)
2: Yeah, I, that could become your thing. Like you could become Twitter famous. For <laughs> should out I should Like the, the official rankings, like the ref rankings.
4: A new top 25 each week from, exactly. from me for college basketball refs. You know, exactly. here's who had a good week. All right. And
2: then you can pivot it to basically being like the Sickos committee, but for, for Big 12 basketball or just for basketball officiating, like college basketball officiating. And you can just take <laughs> obscure clips that people send you. And uh, that's how you get big. Elon just said that he's going to start rewarding engagement with money uh on on twitter at some point here so like this is this is a business plan that we're fleshing wow. out right now
4: oh, john you're gonna be you're gonna be rich with some of the trolling you're gonna be effective with on twitter
2: yeah. yeah got a little carried away last night with one uh kansas band in particular who was complaining about keontae johnson and realized once i went to his profile he had literally tweeted during the kansas game yesterday ban the charge so you know couldn't couldn't resist there but i what dy? What do they do? I mean, have has there been many questions about that in the press conferences about like how the officials are calling this and if they feel like he's being a little bit unfairly targeted here, or what you have to do to change and keep that from happening?
3: I think if Coach Tang was uh, you know an honest individual or or wasn't afraid to get get in trouble during his press conferences, he would probably. Uh, verbalize his frustration with the officials much more when it comes to officiating Keontae Johnson. Uh, In another group chat I was in last night, I equated it a little bit to the LeBron James treatment. and and Also a little ironic, we do it after the night he he broke the the points record, so shout out to him, uh, because of course he's listening to 3Mall. But uh, when LeBron's in the NBA, he's so much powerful than everyone else that it looks like he's just beating the crap out of everyone. But it's just him playing basketball, and he gets penalized and punished for being more powerful than everybody else. And I think that's what we're seeing from Keontae Johnson right now. But when Jerome Tangs asked about it, uh, he said he's not really over-penetrating or doing anything like that. Uh, he's got to, they, as a coaching staff have to recognize the spots where the double is going to come from and put him in a better position to, have him be isolated without a double. It gets trickier and trickier with every game because teams get more creative in how they want to defend them, and, and everyone's a little bit different. But uh, they kind of put it on them. But I know if you, you hook them up to a, a lie detector test, I think you'd be as pissed off about it as us.
2: Yeah, okay. Good, good, because I'm, I'm tired of it, Big 12 officials. I'm tired of it. Always foul trouble every single game before
4: guys have to navigate through. But if you want to look at the the bright side, guys, so the last two games, Keontae's minutes, thanks to those charges, has been cut to 25 minutes a game. Now you would have loved him, you know, to win both of them with him. But, you know, I always think about legs as we get later in the season. And, you know, they found a way to win last night with Keontae not having to play 34, 35 minutes. He's only on the court for 25. So, you know will help his legs hopefully later in the season that he's only played 25 a game the last two. So, and, and he's playing more efficient, you know, last two games, six of 10 against Texas, four of eight last night. And again, it's, it's just funny because you feel like he's not having a great game and you look at the final box score and he's got 14 points and seven rebounds and, and that's pretty darn solid.
3: That's what I wanted to say Uh is We're probably not recognizing it because he's getting into foul trouble repeatedly lately. So we haven't seen him on on the floor as much. But uh, he actually was a little mired, at least from an efficient standpoint, in a little bit of a slump himself. I think he's completely out of his. He's really feeling himself on the offensive end. Uh, So I like, like what we're seeing out of Keontae Johnson. Last night he was flirting with his first potential game, not scoring in double figures. He scored in double figures every game this year. So he cut it close last night. I think it was about five minutes left when he got his 10th point. And I think it was on a, on a three pointer. The only issue I like what you're talking about with the minutes thing, cool with Keontae Johnson, 25 minutes each of the past two games. Here's the thing though. Can't stay can't afford to have none of Marquise Noel or Keontae Johnson on the floor at the same time. So it's also required Marquise Noel to probably play more than they would
4: like. Yeah. No, Marquise played 39 minutes last night. You're right. It, uh, it does take a toll on him, and I, I do worry about that a little bit, especially when you know Marquise always has the ball in his hands, and you know that, that just wears you. It's more exhausting. Now, I thought last night they maybe took Marquise without the ball in his hands, didn't make him the primary ball handler on a few occasions. Desi Carter brought it up, and they let Marquise kind of roam without the basketball on a few different possessions, and I, I like that. Like I like getting Desi the ball a little bit more and getting him going downhill. I thought he played a really nice game, you know, going back to Keontae six of nine from three in his last three games, which I think is a big thing. We talked about it a couple of weeks ago that he needed to get back to, to being able to be a little more effective from three. He went through a stretch where I think he was like three of 19 from beyond the arc. And, you know, he's a, he's a solid three point shooter. He's close to 40% on the year and now six of nine in those last three games. And that'll just enable him to be able to drive more as teams were sagging off a little bit and, and open up some driving lanes for him. So yeah, it was a it was a fun night, and you know, as you look at the the previous matchup to, in Fort Worth, to to really some of the biggest differences in this game, you know, in the in the game in Fort Worth, TCU had fifty four points in the paint to K State's forty, and last night K State outscores them forty to thirty eight in the paint. That's a sixteen point differential uh, that TCU had at the paint, and then second chance points. I mean, you know, TCU is one of the best offensive rebounds in the country. K State outscores them 11 to 3 on second chance points when you compare that to 20 to 8 in Fort Worth. So a 17 point difference and fast break points, 32 to 13 at TCU. Last night, 10 to 7 in favor of TCU. 22 point difference. I mean, everything that went well at TCU, TCU shot 19 free throws in Fort Worth. Last night, K State and K State only shot seven. Last night, K State shoots 23 and makes 19 of them. They shoot 13. K-State was just more physical and played tougher in that game. and I thought defensively they, uh, K-State was pretty darn good. And, and I was actually a little bit surprised to see in Ken Palm that, that K-State now is number 21 in the country in defensive efficiency. So uh, they're, they're a solid defensive team.
2: Well, and we've we've gone an awful long way within this pod without mentioning the name Tyke Green, who stepped up and was the guy uh, off the bench for the Cats last night, 13 points nine rebounds which I mean the way he defends and rebounds case they can really use that he can also finish he's very springy and we got to see him go up and jam a sick alley-oop lob from Keontae Johnson but also just be the guy there on the receiving end of some great passes uh, for layups and dunks virtually the entire game but guys have had these sorts of moments I mean it's been Desi Sills at times Cam Carter has had his moments with games like that now Tyke Green a little more unexpected uh resource for that but on a night when Naquan Tomlin and Ish Masood, we're not giving you a lot. Tyke Green at, at the four, uh, you know, we heard Jerome Tang talk about that after the game, how uh, this guy played guard at Stony Brook. He was playing the four for us tonight. Uh, he stepped in and, and filled a huge, huge role.
3: Yeah, a lot of it had to do with kind of going away from some other guys. Uh, Ish Masood got four minutes in the first half, never, never played again. Naquan Tomlin's defense was leaving a little bit to be desired to think so. Tykey Green got the call and um he answered the bell when his name was called. So uh shout out to him for doing that. Uh 13 or 14 points, I believe he scored. Now, I don't think we're going to be able to expect that on a nightly basis from him or or anything of that sort. It was 13. But I I do think uh that he can kind of be that finisher guy if he's put in that rule, at least, you know, be able to clean things up a little bit or or just catch some loss bobs because i think that's probably his game you look at his free throw numbers and his three point numbers uh look he kind of revamped those last year at stony brook but they reverted again uh at kansas state he's i mean i don't want to put him on blast year but i'm pretty sure he's under 30 percent free throw shooter in big 12 play right now um so that's that's pretty brutal he's not a shooter right now but he can finish at the rim um And he can play defense and he can rebound. I thought the biggest thing, even though his line looks great with 13 points and nine rebounds, I thought the biggest thing he provided was just uh, a little bit of competitive spirit, energy, uh, and that those kinds of things do equate itself to rebounding in defense, and that's what Kansas State needed.
4: Yeah, I, mean, I, I just thought he played incredibly hard. And, I mean, he always plays hard, but I, I thought he brought a lot of energy to the floor. I think of a play where David Gasson actually intercepted the pass where TC was trying to push it down the court, but Ty Key shot out of a cannon. He was going to get it if Gasson didn't get it uh, for the steal. And, you know, he got after it on the offensive glass. And, look, the thing about Ty Key that I, I really like is, and really this whole roster is, these guys are so team-oriented. Like, it would have been easy for Ty Key to pout Like, he didn't come to K-State to play 10 minutes a game and and kind of be in the role that he's in. You know, you look at the last six games, Tyke's scored a combined three points and has a combined seven rebounds in those games. In the previous two contests, he played a total of about two and a half minutes combined. And this is a guy that transferred in that started 88 games in his college basketball career, had scored more than 1,100 points in his career, averaged 14 points and eight rebounds a game last year at Stony Brook, I don't think he came in probably with the vision that he would be a, you know, a reserve that had two, three minutes a game in several games, but he he didn't pout and he went to Jerome Tang and Jerome Tang told the story last night that he, he went to Tang and just wanted to see what he could do to help the team. And Jerome Tang mentioned a story earlier this year when Ish Masood was sitting on the bench a lot and wasn't playing. And he was willing to listen to Ish and open his ears and listen to the feedback from his player. And then Ish had some big moments right after that. And, so you just got you got different guys that are willing to still be fully invested. They're not pouting or sulking, and they go out there and do the things that they do. and And Tyke, you know, showed that he can really be a nice four, you know, for this team because he's got what like a seven foot wingspan for a six four guard that can play down at the four, and he's physical, he's strong, he's got a huge vertical. Um, you know, I think it depends a lot on the team they're playing and the matchups. Uh, whether it's Ish getting more minutes or tie key, but it just shows you that you've got another piece uh, that, can, that can you can plug in there at that four spot and do some effective things. And I, I think he's a really nice defender and rebounder. So I think he brings some valuable things to the floor and you continue to just show that different guys on this roster can step up night in and night out.
2: Hey, I think we've, we've learned a lot about that as the season has gone along. They've, they've got places they can go if it's not going to be uh, Marquise and Keontae in full force every single night. Let's let's take a bigger picture look at what this win means, where K-State's at, Ken Palm Net, all those sorts of things, and what the, uh, what the tournament resume is looking like. We'll do that coming up next.
1: You're listening to the fastest-growing sports media network in Kansas City, KC Sports Network. We'll be back right after this. Inform KC Sports Network.
2: Back here on Three Ma. John, Cole, Derek, all with you. Cole uh, is our resident guy who keeps up with Ken Palm, the net, where K State's at and all these metrics. He was updating me on that as soon as we were getting into the car. Actually, shout out to KSU so underscore fan. Didn't he say the cats are up by seven spots? Seven spots in um Ken Palm. I got Ken Yeah. Paul. Yeah, they moved from uh, twenty six. Yeah. K State in the top twenty.
4: Yeah, they moved from uh, 26 to 19 last night in the uh, in Ken Palm, and uh, from 21 to 16 in the uh, the net ranking. So considerable jump, and Nevada actually had a, a really nice win on the road by one point last night in New Mexico, which was the number 37 team in the net. Nevada's now got eight quad one or quad two wins combined, and they're really solidifying their NCAA tournament resume and it would take a major collapse for Nevada to fall out of a quad one win for K-State. So uh, it looks like they'll probably stay in that quad one status. Oklahoma State is a team to watch. They're 35th in the net. You know, K-State beat them in Bramlage. That's a team that could could sneak into that quad one status for K-State and become an extra quad one win. Uh, but I mentioned earlier, there's only six teams in the country with more quad one wins than Kansas State right now. and they put together a heck of a resume. Lenardi hasn't put out an updated bracket. He had, as of yesterday, entering the day, K-State is the top four seed, and he had TCU as a three. We obviously know that's that's at the very least going to flip after last night, so K-State's probably currently a three seed.
2: On uh, on Oklahoma State, real quick here, Cole, uh, Oklahoma State's Avery Anderson having wrist surgery and out indefinitely. How, how big of an impact is that going to have on that game?
4: Well, he's... <clears throat> Preseason first team All Big Twelve. Uh, he hasn't had as good of a year as he probably would have liked, but still over eleven points a game, over three assists per game. A really good defensive player as well. Yeah, you know, they've got Bryce Thompson, Cise, some other guys that have stepped forward. I still think they're solid. They didn't have Avery Anderson on Saturday against TCU, and and they were able to win. Um, but I, I think it's an impact. I mean, it, it definitely doesn't hurt that uh, K State's got him in a couple weeks and. And in all likelihood, he will not be playing in that game. So it's it's one less big piece <clears throat> for that OSU team.
3: The only thing I would comment would be that Kent State is running into some injury luck here, right? Um, you get to play TC at home without Mike Miles. Maybe Oklahoma State doesn't have Avery Anderson in a couple weeks when you get them in Stillwater. And something to look at, I think Cole mentioned in our group chat, is Texas Tech. Um, they're pretty banged up right now. And Kent State plays there on Saturday. They might not have far off A Mac, who wasn't really good against the Wildcats, anyways, when they hosted the the Red Raiders at Bramlage Coliseum. But Pop Isaacs would be a big, big miss if he can't go against Texas for for Texas Tech against K-State on Saturday. And he just by the looks of everything and the reports you hear, he might be farther away than than A Mac. So I almost would be a little surprised if Pop did play on Saturday.
2: That would be massive. And this is a game that I mean I I think is very intriguing even though it is going on the road to play the last place team in the league. But uh, let, let's get into some of that. Talking K-State, Texas Tech, because D.Y. started bringing us down this road, which which is a fair one. Texas Tech is beat up. I, I think they're probably just beaten down a little bit right now. They got clubbed by Baylor the other night after being close at halftime, just destroyed in the second half. Now, we're recording this before they play their game tonight, which is against Oklahoma State, is it not? Is that who they're playing tonight? Um, anyway. They've got somebody tonight before the game on Saturday, which we know is sold out. So it could be a sellout lively crowd, but I don't know if Tech loses again going into that game. Maybe that still kills some of the crowd and excitement, environment, atmosphere. D.Y., you've been the biggest champion here of the the environment that Texas Tech has and how difficult it can be to play there. Um, Iowa State blew a 23-point lead there and lost in overtime. So I, what are you expecting that K-State is going to get out of this Red Raiders team on Saturday?
3: Yeah, I, they're always going to – it's tough to play anyone on the road, I think, regardless of how things are kind of unfolding. I think everyone has enough pride to kind of put it out there at home and, and see what happens, right? Now, if, you, if you're a team like Texas Tech and the first five or ten minutes of that game don't go well, the crowd tunes out, and the team loses a little bit of interest just because they know they're not necessarily an NCAA tournament team, I think that's probably where it comes into play. Other than that, I think you'll get a team that's at least – playing inspired to begin the game in a crowd that's maybe a little juiced up to begin the game. So the first five or ten minutes of that contest in Lubbock, I would imagine, uh, tells us the complete story of how that game will will wind up. Um, there's a good chance that Texas Tech isn't all that interested, but that that's going to depend on how K-State plays in those first five to ten minutes. But, man, Texas Tech without pop, the way I, I, I just did that kind of – It hurts them quite a bit. Um, Any team that's going to be without the point guard, they're going to be down a few pegs. Um, And if they were to lose, you know, on Wednesday night again, um, I think that does, even though it's sold out, I think that does depress some of the turnout, because, as you know, a team can sell out a game. but That doesn't mean everybody's going to be there. So I, I think you'll probably run into that problem. If you're Texas Tech, if you were to lose on Wednesday night.
4: I mean, I certainly think at not having a meek and especially Isaac is a big factor. Now, they have been playing without both for a couple of weeks now, and they beat Iowa State without both of them. But that was, it felt kind of like a, a fluky type comeback that they had against the Cyclones, and Iowa State kept turning it over. It, it does limit their options. Like they, they don't have, they have Kevin O'Banner and then Davion Harmon and Jalen Tyson. So they have kind of a, a big three, but I mean, they're not elite score. Harmon's a good scorer and O'Banner can score, but, but you can, if you can lock those guys down, they don't have much else to turn to. They're young. You know, they got a lot of youth that they're putting out there on the court that aren't particularly offensively developed yet. Kerwin Walton is a guy that can get hot from three, but other than that, there, there's not a lot of pieces on that team. If those two are out. And I, I think Daniel Bacho too, their other big who took the cheap shot on David Gasson in Manhattan um, in the ribs, he has uh, only been playing about 11, 12 minutes in the last couple of games, and hasn't looked good at all. And I think he's playing banged up too, so uh, that's certainly a factor. They they don't have a lot that if Amik doesn't play, they they don't have a lot that can hurt you on the inside. You know, they'll try to post O'Banner, try to get him in there, but other than that, not a lot. So it's 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 an interesting spot because, like Dy said, I, I think if Case can get off to a good start. You can suck that crowd out of the game, any life that they have, especially if they lose here tonight on Wednesday night against Oklahoma State and Stillwater. You're talking about a team that's what one in ten in the Big Twelve. You know they announced that sellout right after they beat Iowa State. The energy was was flowing a little bit more after that, and now they'll potentially be off three straight losses again since that that game occurred. So does that suck some of those people out from from attending the game and going to United Spirits Supermarket Arena? I don't I don't know, but. Yeah, it's a big spot for K-State because, you know, it's a very winnable road game. Anytime you can win on the road in this league is huge. Heck, it still would count as a quad one road win. Now it's going to be teetering on the brink of quad one, quad two, because they're 71st in the net. Um, But top 75 in the net would be a quad one win on the road. So another resume builder, a nice piece to have and to get to eight and four in the league. Uh, with three home games remaining uh, is significant and Oklahoma right after that. So winnable game. You'd love to go two and O this week. And you'd be talking about a K state team that jumps probably back into the top 10 in the country and the, and the rankings and uh, you know, another big week next week with winnable games at OU and then Iowa state and a revenge spot in Manhattan. It's really
2: the thing, right? You're in this stretch of four games that are as winnable as any that you've had in a very long time with, game of tech and again no not disrespecting tech at all absolutely a game case they could lose um but when you follow that up with a road trip to oklahoma who's really fallen off and seemingly struggling right now iowa state they're they're a different kind of team on the road and bringing them into bramlage it's a game that you're going to need to go get so this is a stretch where i d1 be curious your thoughts here because cole and i were kind of discussing this i mean i think if you're if you're trying to win the league uh Probably need to go 4 and 0. I mean like maybe maybe 3 and 1 can keep you in that enough, but this would be the stretch. If you're going to start really ripping some things off, going 4 and 0 through here would put you I think firmly back into the league race. If you don't win the next 3, then we're, we're maybe sitting here talking about like 10 and 8, 11 and 7 sort of a deal.
3: No, I would agree because let's say you say 3 and 1, so that'd be 2 and 1 the rest of the way to put you at 9 and 5. I don't know that you, you feel great about going 3-1 and one in the last four, and that's probably a worst-case scenario to win the league. So if, if you're talking Big 12 championship implications here and what it takes to do that and to give yourself maybe a margin for error when it does toughen up just a, a bit more again at the back-end stretch, which includes a game in Stillwater and Morgantown, um, two places where are going to be tougher to win at than – Either of Lubbock or Norman. Um, I think you have to win both in Lubbock and Norman, and you can't lose both to Iowa State, right? Especially you can't lose at home to Iowa State when they're, you know, Jekyll and Hyde, home and away. The 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 biggest difference between uh, for a program between the way they play at home and between the way they play on the road is Iowa State. It's typically that way. It's especially that way this year. So I am kind of with you. Now you can go to two and one and finish this stretch with three and one and still feel like you had a good year. Um, but if you want to be in that big 12 championship hunt, which I think some people were starting to count K-State out, which they fell to six and four and, and lost three straight big 12 games to Kansas, Texas, and Iowa State. If you want to get back in that hunt, I think winning the next three is probably required and it's gettable to be honest. I mean, K-State, you correct me if I'm wrong, probably a favorite the next three games, um, I, I know they're playing on the road, but I think they'll be favored at Texas Tech. I, they're, they're on the road, but I think they'll be favored at Oklahoma. Um, I, they'll be favored at home against Iowa State for sure. So I just – look, and I've discounted all season, but you probably aren't going to win the Big 12 without winning in Norman. I, like, I, They're probably going to hate me if any of them listen to this podcast, but that's the almost yearly week uh, season in and season out. That's the easiest win on the road in the Big 12 that that atmosphere is non-existent
4: it's a, it's a terrible atmosphere in norman i mean i've covered games there as well and it's brutal i, I remember a couple times 2009 10 season k-state fans kind of overtook their arena down there back when denny and jake were on that elite eight team and there were multiple thousand k-state fans down there which was a lot of fun when k-state fans were traveling supporting that team and you know that it's a very winnable game you know obviously OU's kind of jekyll and hyde too they they, they kill alabama you know, and Norman, I, I think we're, I, I like the spot for K state because here's why Oklahoma's next two games tonight at Baylor Saturday against KU and Norman. So, I mean that, you know, did they start to wear down with that stretch that they're having and, and, you know, talking about possibly losing two and more in a row, they'd be 12 and 13 overall that the NCAA tournament hopes pretty much dashed at that point for OU. Now they, they do have some talented pieces, Sherfield, the Groves brothers, uh, Jalen Hills a good player, Uzon a good freshman point guard for him. So, they have some pieces that make you a little nervous, but the atmosphere is not going to be a problem for K-State. So, if you go 3 and 0 in these next 3 games, um, making a 4-0 stretch counting the TCU win last night, I think K-State gets a share of the Big 12 title. Cuz if you're telling me they're sitting at 10 and 4 in league play, I think 12 and 6 is going to get a share of the title. That means they got to go 2 and 2 in the last 4 games. I I feel Confident that they can do that. So you go three and oh, these next three games, and I they're in a great spot because I really do think 12 and six is the magic mark to get a share of the Big 12 title. I don't think anyone gets 13 and five. You know, Texas, the one thing I'll, I'll urge caution on people are going to think Texas might run away with this thing over the next couple weeks because you look at their schedule. West Virginia is playing in Austin to, on Saturday, then Texas goes to Texas Tech, then Oklahoma hosts Texas. Or I mean, I'm sorry. Texas hosts Oklahoma, uh, and then they get Iowa State in Austin. I mean, there's a very good chance Texas goes four and zero over these next four games, and so they're going to be sitting possibly at twelve and three in league play. But then their final three games at Baylor, at TCU, and then KU in Austin. So they've they got a tough stretch. You got to hope they lose one of these next four games, and I think then they'll finish at 12 and six. I think KU is going to drop a couple more, you know, between road games at OSU at TCU at Texas. Um, and uh, what at OU, I don't think they'll lose that one, but I think they'll drop a couple road games still. So 12 and six is the number to get to. That means going five and two. in these, uh, these last seven.
1: You are listening to Casey sports network. You're home for the best coverage on your favorite local teams. Whether you're a Chiefs, Royals, Sporting KC, KC Current, K-State, KU, or Mizzou fan, we've got you covered. Find KCSN on your favorite podcast platform. entertain, educate, inform, KC Sports Network.
2: Well, I'm with you. I'm with you. It seemed hard to, harder to believe early on the 12 and 6 thing when K-State was like 5-1, and one, you know, and we're feeling great and everything's rolling, but the, the realities of the league have sent in for everybody. I mean, literally everybody at the top here has gone through these multiple game losing streaks uh, and and some rough skids, rough patches. Uh, before I ask one quick football question to D.Y., any, any closing thoughts on basketball here?
4: Dy, you got, got anything? Nine. You got nothing. Uh, the only thing I would say, uh, you know, I had jotted down uh, a couple notes from the game last night. In addition, that I hadn't that I hadn't mentioned earlier, and I, I thought this was a big thing. And KSU fan had pointed this out in our group chat going into last night's game against TCU. But you know, TCU is a bad three point shooting team. They're in the three hundreds in the country, shooting around 29 percent from three. And I thought one of the big things with last night's game, TCU went 16 of 19 at the rim on shots at the rim. So an insane shooting percentage at the rim, but they went nine of 38 on non shots at the rim. So 24% everywhere from away from the basket. Um, You forced them to shoot a lot of jump shots. And that was a big deal because in the game in Fort Worth, TC went 26 of 38 on shots at the rim for 68%. Think about that. They shot 38 shots at the rim in Fort Worth and only 19 last night against k-state so that was a big factor in that game and john i think early in the game you and me thought k-state was struggling at the rim missing layups etc k-state goes 16 of 21 on shots at the rim last night which surprised me 76 percent compared to shooting 14 54 percent in the game in fort worth so just wanted to throw out a couple of those numbers that I thought were big factors as well because the shooting percentages weren't all that different. In in Fort Worth, TCU was forty six percent from the floor. K State forty three percent. Last night, K State shot forty six, TCU shot forty four percent, but TCU turned it over nineteen times. You know, it's kind of rolls rolls flipped in this uh this matchup in Manhattan and k that ends up handing TCU its worst defeat of the season. The the biggest margin that the Horned Frogs had lost by was was nine against West Virginia. And again, we preface all that they didn't have Mike Miles, but still an impressive win.
2: A little bit of frustration at the end of the game too. You know, the handshake line, the handshake line got a little testy there uh, between some TCU assistant and uh, yeah, dream And then at the end of the game, Keontae was barking with Emmanuel Miller. Uh, it, it was Miller, right? That was they, they were going after each other, and then Keontae turned to the student section to have them come in and get the final word on that whole thing. Uh, I think I think TCU was pretty pretty frustrated. Not sure there's a whole level a whole lot of love lost uh, between the two coaches and teams.
4: Uh, that was great, uh, you know, when Keontae got to the students and was just basically like pointed at them, "Hey, shut shut him up!" You know, I, yeah, Emmanuel Miller was talking a lot, and I don't know if that goes back. I told you on the drive home, John, Emmanuel Miller transferred from Texas A and M. A couple of years ago. So Keontae probably matched up against him when he was at Florida. So they know each other probably a little bit. There was a lot of talking there. And then yeah, that handshake line was interesting. DY, I don't know if you saw that unfold, but uh it was I was getting a little nervous something might happen. But it took a couple minutes to kind of uh get everyone separated. It wasn't like any anyone like throwing any haymakers, any punches, any physical contact, but I, you know, there was a lot of talking going on in that handshake line. Yeah. Yeah,
2: things heated up there for a minute. Things heated up there. D. Y. Before we let you go and get out of here, I was I was going to ask for for an update on a wide receivers coach. You got a you got a wide receivers coach update for me?
3: I wish I did. That thing is under. I I think I don't. I wouldn't say it's under lock and key. I think it's in very much the infant stages because I think the way that it unfolded, like that board, I think. You know, as soon as he was aware that he was going to get an Illinois opportunity, I think he probably jumped at the chance before they even got into the contract negotiations. So he was gone in a flash. So I don't think this is something that Kansas State was necessarily like a lot of these times, you know, when this unfolds, a team's kind of aware of it for about a week before we even know. I I don't think that was the case. And so I think it's kind of in its infant stages. And Chris Kleiman, the last few times, I and I think probably going to keep up with this because it's been probably a winning formula for him. Been pretty thorough in his last few hires, right? Like it's it's taken a few weeks. He will interview uh, maybe a couple of different times, multiple candidates. So, I mean, I I expect it to be done, you know, before the month of February is over. But I don't think they're going to necessarily rush into anything beyond that. Especially now, look, you can always recruit even in dead periods to a certain extent with you know recruiting never is dead dead but it is a dead period so if you're going to be without a coach the month of february is not a bad time for it to happen
4: can i can i throw out a name do you just a uh, this is a complete guess i'm and i, I know you've seen this name bobby ingram former nfl wide receiver uh john won't like that he was the offensive coordinator at wisconsin uh last season <laughs> yeah. Uh and quarterbacks coach. But uh I'm just gonna put that on uh, uh gosh, why am I blanking on the head coach? last year was a mess for Wisconsin. Um uh, blanking on the head coach's name, Paul Christ, um, who was removed. But but Bobby Ingram, you know, his son just walked on to K-State, right? Uh, Trey Ingram and
3: Yeah, yeah, he did. Trey Ingram is a, a preferred walk-on in this class, so uh there is that connection besides that i like i don't know much about him so uh, yeah
4: the, i just wanted to like, throw a name out yeah i
3: mean it's an interesting coincidence but i don't think like chris Kleiman was like uh signing his son as preferred walk on to eventually hire hire his dad as receivers yeah. coach now it's it's interesting that it's kind of unfolded that way but i don't know that that was ever part of the discussion
2: and you think i i believe i saw you write this but i i don't you think a lot of the popular names that are out there the case that you know the people that have to immediately run to like it's got to be someone with a k-state connection uh those obvious names that we're seeing stanton weber uh michael smith uh Cody cook unless i'm missing jake waters you're, you're not anticipating those guys being being the guy
3: i'm not not the first conversation that i the the conversations that i've had with anyone maybe with a morsel of information you, you kind of hear two things a younger coach, so that would roll out maybe someone like Michael Smith, and probably a minority hire, just because of the position and in the you know needing to maintain that balance on the staff. So that would eliminate some of those guys with Kansas State ties, of course.
2: Yeah, well, and, and something that I think they wanted to do with Tremaine Carroll when they made that hire too, and and they're very conscious about the culture and all those things. So yeah, it uh, I'm I'm with you on that. Plus, I think climate is in a mode now where it would be fairly foolish not to open this up to a just nationwide search. You, you've got some juice right now. Go, go make it happen. Okay, I think that's going to wrap it up for us here on this 3 ma. Uh, a little more happy than we would have been if we'd done a show on Monday coming off that Texas loss. Uh, we'll see what unfolds this weekend in Lubbock. Six o'clock tip, I believe, between K-Stan and Texas Tech coming up on Saturday. So with that, drink your Ben Holiday bottle and Bond bourbon while you watch. Or your 360 vodka, whichever your poison of choice is, support our friends at Holiday Distillery who do a great job supporting the pod. We appreciate B.J. Kissel behind the scenes today. For Derek Young and Cole Manbeck, I am John Kurtz. Thanks for listening to another 3Maw. Take care.
1: Thanks for listening to KC Sports Network. Don't forget to hit that follow button and leave us a review if you like what you heard and think others would as well. You can find all six of our channels at KCSN covering the Chiefs, the Royals, Sporting KC, and the KC Current, plus KU, K-State, or Mizzou by searching KCSN wherever you listen to podcasts. We're also on YouTube. Entertain, educate, inform KC Sports Network.